that's not really a lockdown <laughs> um, I think I think time goes more slowly when we're in lockdown I don't know it's weird I mean it doesn't really feel like it like a like an actual lockdown like before because everybody's still going everywhere in England the schools are still open and and all that Um, lots of businesses have just sort of stayed open because fuck it, YOLO or whatever, I don't know Um, so everything's still just as busy it's just (laughs) the government's like stay at home except you and you and you and you and also you and you so it's like everyone just still goes out or whatever it's a bit ludicrous but it's life you know it is what it is I am I'm tired of it I've had enough do you know what I mean I just I'm really upset because they've put the Christmas lights up in London but I can't go to see them because honestly it's annoying because I only live about half hour away from London on the train um which actually begs the question why does my boyfriend drive down to pick me up when I could just get the train and I say this to him sometimes and he's like no 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 it's fine because he's like a maniac and he likes driving for some reason I don't know but anyways the point is I could just get the train up to London I could, I could, I could just go up to the train station, because it's not like there are, like, armed police at the train station and that, but I'm still scared, like, what if I go and I get on the train and then a cop comes up and he's like, why are you on this train? And I can't exactly be like, because I want to go see the Christmas lights in London and film my Christmas music video, because he's going to be like, that's not a reasonable excuse to be out of your house to Kent with you and then then I'd probably get fined as well and well (laughs) I don't think any of us can afford a fine in this economy but I just it's so annoying because it's so close but so far away you know what I mean and I'm just like I can't believe that you've done this to me big Sadiq I can see it on Twitter and social media and that but I can't go there and it hurts me oh my god anyways first world problems I know but (laughs) but you know I live in the first world and I got problems I I mean to be honest the whole first world concept makes me unsettled anyway I think it's a bit colonialist but um 
nevertheless, um, (laughs) I've been planning stuff for the holidays for my family because it's very doubtful I'm going to be able to see them because everyone keeps banging on about how we're doing this second lockdown that's not a lockdown but it is a lockdown so that we can save Christmas and whatever because you know fuck other religions drag right like you know (laughs) I guess they you know they didn't they didn't get the effort to save them but we're, we're, we're saving Christmas even though a lot of the people that celebrate Christmas are not actually religious so but anyways so we're doing all this to to save Christmas apparently However, um, most of my family are like in the in the high risk categories and stuff, so I'm still probably not going to be able to see them because even if the government is like okay, you can see people. What if I take the virus there by mistake, and then oh shit, I've like killed my grandparents or something that's not exactly a Christmas gift I think they want so I'm like planning like alternative things like (laughs) you know so they can still have a little bit of like feeling like we're connected and and that even though I won't be there which is a bit depressing although on the plus side it does save me a lot of wrapping up presents which as you will have heard on the last Christmas special I hate and I'm terrible at because I'm <laughs> I'm mainly just like ordering presents online and sending them to them <laughs> so I don't have to wrap them up which is great news um because <laughs> I'm really bad at wrapping Christmas presents although that <sighs> See, now I don't know what I'm going to do in the Christmas special this year. Because last year I was, like, wrapping my Christmas presents and talking shit with you guys. I mean, I'm going to have two Christmas specials this year, I've decided. Because I've got one, and it's the concert. So I'm going to be giving you guys the live album on the podcast. Like, a full concert experience. It's going to be really fun. And I'm going to do another one, but I don't know what I'm going to do for it. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. I mean, there are still some presents I need to wrap for, like, people I can physically see at some point in December. (laughs) But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, And I've still got time, right? Says the princess of procrastination that always ends up doing everything at the last fucking minute. But nevertheless, it's going to be fine. I hope. I set fire to my past while the new moon slept around my shoulders. Stars set their eyes upon me, weeping with my brown eyes steeped in sympathy, seeing the world turn, fate turning with it. I embrace embers, cherry red, wrapped around me, burning and cleansing falling to firm concrete, 
finding my way to the secrets my heart keeps. I um, I spent some time with the moon on Saturday night. It was a new moon. So I decided what I was going to do. I was going to do two things. Firstly, I was going to get rid of all the things that I didn't want in my life anymore. And then, once I'd made room, I was going to draw in the things I did want, right? So, it was real simple, because I was updating um, some stuff from, like, my fortune-telling box. I have, like, a box, and (laughs) it has my cards, all the different decks I have, although I've really only used the one. I have loads of different decks and I that I rarely use, but <laughs> um, but then I've also got like the messages, the little cards with the messages on, and and the different attributes and and numbers and letters and things. Um, so I was updating some stuff with that, and then I thought I want to do this. I want to be decisive and and ask for the things I want. But before I do that, I have to clear out the things that I don't need, right? So, I wrote down the things that I I knew held me back. Because there are things in my life, you know, and I know this, that, that restrict me, you know. Um... I I wrote down, like, the negative thoughts I have about myself. Um, The self-doubt, the the (laughs) self-hatred. The things that I hear in my head when I think, you know, like, I can't do this. I'm not going to succeed at this. I don't deserve nice things. I don't deserve to be happy, you know, but also, um, things that are not necessarily coming from within me, but, like, ways that people have hurt me, and I I hold on to these things because... I feel aggrieved and I feel angry and I'm like what the fuck <laughs> that's fucked up bro but something happened this week which I'm gonna talk about in a bit more detail in a bit because I wrote something about it um but the long and short of it is a very terrible and evil person died this week and some of the families of this person's victims they let they let go of the anger there was an interview with one of them and he talked about how 
he he let go of the anger and he was able to live again now I am not in a situation where somebody has murdered somebody close to me obviously and thankfully but there have been um there have been people that have hurt me and I have held on to that for a number of reasons number one I love revenge number two (laughs) um I didn't understand it you know um there have been times when people have done hurtful things to me and I don't understand why so it stays with me and I hold on to it because I don't do you know what I mean like I I don't I don't get it I'm like why would you do that What, what did I do to deserve that but here's the thing I wrote those things down along with all the self-inflicted stuff like, you know, hating myself and all that, I wrote the things those people did down. And I said to myself, you know what? I might never understand why. But I don't need to. Because if I stay fixated on the way that somebody hurt me then I will never be able to truly enjoy the people that bring happiness into my life I will never be able to truly embrace the joy of other people if I am still holding on to anger about people that made me sad so I had this thing this week about how sometimes you forgive somebody not for them but for yourself and I think that's what I did I was like okay I'm gonna let this go away into the night not for you but for me, because I deserve to be able to move on with my life, I deserve to be happy, and I will never truly be able to do that until I do this, so I wrote down all the negative feelings I have about myself, all the things that hold me back, all the things that make me doubt myself as a person, as a creator, as a you know, just as a, an entity, (laughs) you know, and I also, I wrote down the things that I hold on to, the people that hurt me, and the effects that has on who I am, and how I live my life, and I wrote it down on one piece of paper, and then I got another piece of paper, and I wrote down the things I wanted to bring close to me, the things I wanted to have in my life, that I could have in my life once I got rid of the other stuff, the negative stuff, and I had room in my life and in my heart and in my soul. So I was like, okay, so we're getting rid of all this 
negative, horrible shit, and then we're bringing in good stuff and good times and happiness. And then I burnt the negative piece. And I just sat in my garden watching it. Um, And the sky clouded over for a little. And it, it was like everything flew away from me. And then it was somewhere far away where it couldn't get to me anymore. And then everything good comes in. Um, And it felt very liberating to know that I was freeing myself. I had made the choice to be free. I had made the choice to be in control of my own destiny and to say I'm not going to let these things control me anymore I'm not going to let them tell me where I'm going, what I'm doing how I feel, what's going on with me that was the right choice a little when the night comes down on me due on stage in 15 downing drinks injecting dreams my veins have always been clean but my soul would beg to differ I've seen the demons hanging on the arms of my reflection as I try to look past the mirror and avoid my own eyes life is what you make it and sometimes I make a right mess collapsing by the orchestra singing the encore from the floor it's always a view from the bridge because I think that if I cry I'll become human and I always cry because the bridge has been demolished one of my many mothers once said a woman is incomplete when she's not in love and I understood as I searched so feverishly for you in a clamouring crowd. You keep me upright, keep me manifesting my next magnum opus, keep me on the earth when the night threatens to take me from you. I think I'm tired of being a tragedy, but I don't know how to be anything else. So (laughs) I live out of spite, laugh at my own misfortune and love, love, love because 
I'm complicated but complete when I do. I was thinking about Judy Garland a lot when I wrote that. <laughs> um, I love her. You know I love her. Um, I feel I feel so connected to her. I think because she was like the first artist I truly stand. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, I loved her. My grandparents I used to go and stay with them sometimes and they the room I'd stay in it had a record player and all my granddad's old records and some of my mum's and my granddad had a lot of Judy Garland so I'd listen to that and I would watch all her films um I just loved her and I remember being super devastated when I found out she was dead and had been for several decades um because I was like no this is the worst thing ever um, I was saying to someone on Twitter the other day, it was probably my first heartbreak. Um, <laughs> but um, I was thinking about her a lot this week because a couple of weeks ago, um, I recorded some like stuff for Christmas. Um, obviously, my own Christmas song I recorded months ago, like during the first lockdown, because you know. <laughs> what else was I gonna do? <laughs> um, but I recorded some stuff. Um, and one one of the tracks I did um, it was "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas" from "Meet Me in St. Louis," which, of course, was you know, was one of you know a Judy song and. So I was, I was mixing it this week, and uh, I just started thinking about her, and I do feel, I've actually, I've written, like, a whole poem about this already, <laughs> but I do feel we have a lot in common, um, Obviously, we both love to perform, obviously. Um, but we're both very unlucky romantically in our personal lives. <laughs> um, we both kind of have these difficult feelings about ourselves. And you know, some would label us self-destructive. Um, and I think that's part of why I always felt very connected to her as I grew up because I, I saw um, I saw someone like me who found it hard to get by in this world you know and when I watch her performances um, and her movies and I just think I just wish things could have been different for her I wish 
I just I just wish that things were different you know but you know because I'm a narcissist I also think about myself and I think you know oh my god I, I feel like my life is approaching this this period um I watched uh the movie Judy again the other day um I really enjoy it I I really like it <laughs> um but that kind of makes me feel more connected to her too because sometimes there are there have been points in my career so to speak where there have been people um you know kind of pushing me and pulling me in all these different directions and there you know it's hard to know who has the 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 best thing in mind for you and sometimes you just feel like like you're this thing that people just want to throw out into the world and and sell and that's hard when when you do these things because you're passionate and you care I think you could tell from 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 the way that she performed and the way that she interacted with her fans and and things like that and the way she talked about her work that she cared very deeply about her artistry and her work and I think sometimes people didn't understand that about her and they just saw her as money and I mean obviously I've not felt that to the same extent because as much as I'd love to be I'm not Judy Garland um but there have been people that I have interacted with in my career and it's very obvious that they don't they don't see artists as people but more just property and that's very challenging when you want to create things and and it's hard and then there's you know just the real world and how hard it is to navigate and how um how difficult it is and how if you find it difficult you immediately get labeled as like troubled <laughs> and you know maybe i am troubled i <laughs> but you have to make a song and dance of it you know and it's hard to be alive um so i get her you know um I'm really looking forward to releasing that song. But I <laughs> I don't know when I can. Because with release schedules, realistically, I mean I shouldn't have I did something really bad the other day and I got yelled at for it. So my own Christmas song I released it early on Bandcamp. And I got yelled at. 
even though I released it on the day when Bandcamp were giving all of the money to artists rather than taking their cut. So actually, I made more than I would have had I released it on any other day. But, you know, they were like, you shouldn't release it early because you, you've got to release it on the same day as streaming. And I'm like, oh, fine. But anyways, so I've got to wait until I'm allowed to release this cover but I'm really excited about it it's got a very kind of it sounds kind of like lonely but hopeful you know <laughs> which is very me um I just wish she was alive man wouldn't that be so great like imagine seeing her and Liza singing together again that'd be so good you know what actually speaking of Liza you know what pisses me off when people treat her the same way they treated Judy just before she died but these are the same media outlets that will be like oh it was such a tragedy when Judy died and it's like you bitches killed her and then you're sitting there treating her daughter the same way leave these women alone you did the shit to Amy Winehouse too leave these girls the fuck alone okay I will not stand for it. This is a troubled but talented women defense show. And I've had enough. I'm just saying it out loud now. Leave these girls the fuck alone. You bitches are vultures. Say her name, we ask. Minds are blank, his name echoes, infamous, blood-soaked. Say her name, we ask, set her free, let her be hers, his ghostly grip stays. Say her name, we ask, serial killers are stars, women, trapped torches. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, an evil, horrible piece of shit died this week. Um, and I want to talk about, firstly, misogyny. Um, so to give context, because otherwise people are going to get, like, confused and shit. Um... So, Peter Sutcliffe died. You may know him more as the Yorkshire Ripper because, of course, the media had to turn him into some kind of celebrity with a fucking nickname and all this shit. Because, of course... (sighs) 
he's not a fucking celebrity he is a horrible cunt that killed 13 women murdered 13 women who deserved to live who deserved to be remembered he doesn't now what happened at the time is that a lot of these women you know there was there was victim blaming there was dehumanization of these women um because well that's that's what always happens isn't it you know um west yorkshire police um has actually issued an apology to relatives of the victims for the language tone and terminology used by senior officers at the time you know when he was killing these women um because these women were spoken about horrifically as if their deaths were kind of their fault you know oh if if these women had not been out at night if they had not been you know on the streets at this time you know that kind of thing because it apparently it's really hard to say the only person responsible for a crime is the criminal the only person responsible for these murders is peter sutcliffe because he was a misogynist and he was violent and he killed these women who did not deserve to die it doesn't matter where these women were what they were wearing what they were doing they didn't deserve to die it's not their fault that they are dead it's his fault because he's a murderer it's quite possible that there could have been less victims if the police had taken it seriously and not gone into this with a bias um in the same way um you know there are um there have been a number of cases of on-street grooming across the uk um and a lot of the victims of that were treated terribly by the police and again they were victim blamed there was you know oh well you know these girls come from troubled backgrounds so they probably want to be there oh these girls are child prostitutes there's no such thing that that's not a thing that's not real you know oh the you know these girls you know they're chaotic they're just no those girls were victims of grooming and abuse and it was your job as police officers to fucking help them not to judge them and decide that actually they deserve to be victims of crime 
And if the police had got their shit together and helped the girls in the first instance, there would probably have been far less victims because the criminals wouldn't have got away with it for as long as they did. And the same thing happened here. If the police had taken women seriously, if the police had not gone in with a bias and decided that some women deserve to be horrifically murdered, then he wouldn't have got away with it for as long because he would have been arrested. But, as usual, misogyny, victim blaming, wins over actually protecting people. And... This, you know, in the in the wake of Sutcliffe's death, this is still kind of happening. There is still misogyny at play here. The Guardian, they published an obituary to this thing. He's a fucking serial killer. Why? To what end? Pedo, why? Why are you posting a fucking obituary to this man? I... It's... Oh, my God. The the one thing that was quite... I don't know that heartwarming is the right word, but... A, a sign of hope, I guess the names of his victims started trending on Twitter on the morning of his death because so many people were saying that those women should be the names that people hear and not him and I think that's correct. I really do. Um, I think... If we are ever going to stand a chance... Of stopping... Violence like this... Of stopping widespread abuse the only way that we can do that is to stop glorifying people that hurt abuse and kill women stop treating them like celebrities stop giving them nicknames stop spreading their picture around and giving them fucking obituaries when they die stop glorifying them stop treating them like you know, curiosities. <sighs> Let me tell you, back in the day on Tumblr.com, okay, there was this thing called the serial killer fandom, right? You may have heard of it and thought it was a joke, but it was not a joke. It was a real fucking thing. Um, so, you know, you have fandoms for like regular shit, like, you know, TV shows or sports or um like bands or whatever like you know you have like one direction fans i i don't know i'm so old i don't know all the new artists but 
you know, One Direction fans, Supernatural fans, I think that's still going, there was a lot of outrage about Destiel the other day, um, you know, uh, and stuff like that. On Tumblr, there was the serial killer fandom, right? And it was a real thing, it wasn't a joke, it was people that were fans of serial killers and, and murderers. Now, some of them were trying to defend it by saying they were just interested in true crime. But these were people making, you know, cutesy little mood boards and graphics of people like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and, and writing love letters to Richard Ramirez and all this fucked up shit. They were treating these people that hurt and killed people as if they were heroes, as if they were people to be admired. I remember um, a guy called TJ Lane, who, um, he did a school shooting in the US. Um, and it was horrifically traumatising for his victims because in real time, they were having to watch this serial killer fandom adopt this boy as a hero and talking about how cute he was and how complicated and dark and tragic he was after he had killed their friends and terrorised them. Um, and I remember he, he once escaped from prison and the people in the town where he had been sighted were terrified, naturally. But this serial killer fandom, they were following it like it was a fun little event. They were acting like it was amazing. And this, this was a real thing. And I know this because I fucking witnessed it. I was on Tumblr at that time very regularly. And I remember every now and again, you would see some serial killer fandom shit get reblogged onto your timeline. And you'd be like, okay, I need to fucking unfollow this bitch because what the fuck? <sighs> Flower crown edits of Myra Hindley. I'm not even joking. I saw that once with my own fucking eyes. And I thought... That sick bitch murdered children. And you people are treating her like she's this cutesy, adorable person. She's a horrific person. She's awful. She is the embodiment of evil. What is wrong with you? But this, this is what happens. You know, abusers killers, murderers, they get turned into celebrities, they get treated like heroes, they get fan mail in prison, they get fucking weirdos making fan pages for them on the internet. And this is how we end up with a situation where the true people that should be remembered often don't. And what I will say as it, it was heartening to see a real effort from the British public to make sure that the victims of Peter Sutcliffe were remembered before him. And I think that is how we should treat these kinds of things. The victims should be remembered. Their names should be the ones that are said. Fuck those bitches that took them away from their friends, their families and their lives 
fuck those bitches that decided they didn't deserve to carry on living. Forget them and remember Wilma McCann, Emily Jackson, Irene Richardson, Patricia Atkinson, Jane MacDonald, Jean Jordan, Yvonne Pearson, Helen Ricker, Vera Millwood, Josephine Whitaker, Barbara Leach, Marguerite Walls, and Jacqueline Hill. Earlier this year, I started Diverse First, a poetry radio show on Alphabet Radio, which celebrated diversity in creative writing. I really enjoyed putting the show together for you guys and featuring some amazing creators. And I was really overwhelmed with the response that we got for the show. If you want to listen again while we're on a little break, then you can find all the episodes of Diverse First from the very beginning on alphabetpride.com. And if you're interested in getting involved in Diverse First, we are currently taking submissions for features for the next series. You can find more information at my website, jenniferwan.com. And I can't wait to find your voice and share it with the whole world. be real with you you know that I stand Scotland but I don't understand sports but from my understanding of things some sports related thing happened for Scotland this week and they're having a good time and that's great and that's fabulous and we're happy for them um and so this somehow ended in drama for Nicola Sturgeon because So, I mean, basically, a bunch of people just tragic shit. Anyways, so I think it was some kind of football thing. I don't know. Anyway, so she tweeted a bunch of Scotland flags, like the emoji, and she tweeted this gif of her um, where she's celebrating. And people lost their shit. 
well, that's not really true. Most people found it funny and were happy about the sport thing. But there were some tragic people, namely the Liberal Democrats, that were pissed about it because the GIF comes from election night in 2019 when Jo Swinson lost her seat. But more importantly, Amy Callahan won the seat for the SNP. Now, Amy Callahan at the time, you know, before she won the seat and became an MP, um, she was, you know, kind of a, a newcomer to this kind of thing. She hadn't um, stood for election before, but she had really won the hearts of a lot of people, I think, because she was just very down to earth. Um, she'd spoken openly and very honestly about her experience uh, being diagnosed with melanoma uh, when she was 19. And she'd spoken about her experiences with cancer and her mission to protect the National Health Service because of what it had done for her and what it would do for people across the UK for generations to come. And I think that's probably why she won. You know, she um, she showed her heart to the public and they embraced her. And she was a young woman who had been through a lot in her life, who had just won an election and the leader of her party was happy for her. And it just so happened it got caught on camera and the moment went viral. Um, I should also point out here, by the way, Joe Swinson didn't even fucking bother turning up to campaign in her seat, which is probably another reason why she lost. Um, she barely turned up for events in the seat. She, she just couldn't be asked. So, you know, the electorate sees a woman who can be bothered, who shows up, talks to them honestly, and they embrace her and they vote for her. Anyway, so Joe Swinson loses the election. A video goes viral of Nicola Sturgeon <laughs> celebrating because she's happy for a young woman in her party that's successful. But of course, the Lib Dems have to make everything about Joe Swinson. That's why they stuck her face on a bus or whatever. And they they act like it's this big affront and it's this horrible, horrific thing. Um, you know, and they're all clutching their pearls and they're like, oh, Nicola Sturgeon's so horrible. Anyway, so that video becomes a gif, right? And it gets widely used. <laughs> I use it all the time. <laughs> Literally any slight success in my life and I'll just be like, yep, it's time to break that gif out. Um, so it's, it's become a meme at this point. Celebrating Nicola Sturgeon is a meme. So Nicola Sturgeon using a meme of herself to celebrate her country succeeding at sport things. What's so bad about that? What is so bad about the first minister of a country being proud of her country being successful and jokingly using a meme? You would think that nobody would 
get uppity about this but here come the Lib Dems <laughs> um yeah here come the Lib Dems because I mean I guess they got nothing better to do I mean <laughs> it's not like you know they're out here winning shit or anything so I guess complaining on Twitter about which gifts Nicola Sturgeon uses is all they can really do at this point. So Alex Cole Hamilton, who is a Lib Dem MSP and a bit of a fucking tragedy, I'm not gonna lie, quote tweeted her and said, I've got skin in the game, I know, but why use archive footage of yourself uproariously cheering the defeat and severed livelihood of a decent person. I'm sorry, is the woman who is one of the architects of austerity a decent person now? Okay. Are spontaneous outbursts of joy really that rare? I... Mm. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here from this tragic little man. Firstly, why is he getting so upset about a gif? Is it really that deep? Do the Lib Dems not have anything bigger to focus on? Like, I don't know, the current pandemic, the fact that they can't win anything, um, the questions that really they still have to answer over the behaviour of members of their party, um, such as, for example, David Steele, who, I mean, mm, uh, <laughs> for those that don't know, by the way, to add context to that, there was a Lib Dem called Cyril Smith, um, who was a serial abuser of children. And um, basically it came out that David Steele, who was also in the Lib Dems um, and was previously the leader of the party, knew that Cyril Smith was abusing children and did nothing about it. And the Lib Dems then, after this all came out, basically tried to make it go away. Um, so, yeah, maybe the Lib Dems should focus on that instead of getting uppity about gifts that Nicola Sturgeon uses, just as a thought. Um, and, and then let's move down to the second uh, point here. Uh, <laughs> cheering the defeated and severed livelihood of a decent person does this man not understand how elections work like it's really not that deep this shit happens all the time at election counts and it's actually um <laughs> it's a lot less unpleasant in fact it, I, I wouldn't say it's unpleasant at all but when you consider right when you consider 
that Joe Swinson just last year when she was introduced at an event she was introduced with the following unseating the odious John Nicholson and then all the Lib Dems in attendance applauded that they applauded the man that she beat for the seat previously, John Nicholson, he was referred to as odious. And all the Lib Dems sat around clapping like seals. And now they're clutching their poles over a gif that Nicola Sturgeon used. Because apparently she's a terrible person for being happy that her party won a seat. But it's okay for the Lib Dems to refer to SNP MPs as odious and applaud that shit. But then they sit on Twitter whinging about kinder, gent- kinder gentler politics. I... <laughs> sit down, baby. You... You're not equipped for this. Anyways. So... And then are spontaneous outbursts of joy really that rare? No, no, they aren't. There are lots of videos and gifts of Nicola Sturgeon looking happy and pictures and whatever. It's just this one is the most famous. She used it as a joke. Why are you sitting here trying to... Honestly, this man's a tragedy. The whole Lib Dem party is a tragedy, really. It's just, it's like, cheer up, mate. We're in a fucking pandemic. Everything's a bit shit. People in Scotland are happy right now because a sports thing went well for them. Let them have that. Like, why are you getting uppity about this and getting upset? It's just sad and tragic. Um, Let's continue with the theme of sad and tragic. Let's talk about Dominic Cummings. Okay. So, Dominic Cummings, um, what can we really say? I mean, famously played by Benedict Cumberbatch in that film where they were all banging on about how he's a fucking weirdo or whatever. One of, apparently, the key architects behind the successful brexit campaign um he he's very much like one of those guys that bangs on about how weird he is he famously put out this job ad for people to work for him and he was like i want the weirdos and the the outcasts and all that shit he's very um like tragic I think he thinks he's like really cool and shit and like a maverick, but he just strikes me as very tragic. Anyways, um, so he was an advisor to Boris Johnson. And earlier this week, um, there was a story that broke about how he was going to be leaving before Christmas. Um, and everybody was really shook. And then Friday night, 
Friday the 13th, in fact, which turned out to be quite a lucky day. Um, he just leaves. He says he's leaving with immediate effect. There's been a whole bunch of fucking dumb drama going on Downing Street this week because apparently there's nothing more important going on, you know, like a pandemic or three million people being excluded from financial support and being left penniless or Brexit looming on the horizon. No, no, no. Downing Street have got plenty of time to fuck about. Basically, there was a bunch of people within Downing Street arguing over promotions and jobs and shit and... Oh, fucking hell, it was all so stupid and juvenile. Anyway, the point is, Dominic Cummings is gone, apparently. And there are a lot of people that think that this is going to change things. And magically, the government is just going to start being nice or vaguely human or caring or whatever. I don't buy it. I don't think that's going to happen. Um... I think it's quite delusional and naive, to be honest, to think that everything's magically going to get better because Dominic Cummings is going. Um, I don't buy it. And I don't think that we should be complacent. Um, I think it's really important for the opposition parties to work together to try and hold the government to account as much as possible and then get them out as soon as they can. So it's a good job that the official opposition are functioning well, isn't it? Oh, wait, they're not. Um, I, <laughs> The Labour Party, man. Why they got to be like this all the goddamn time? Honestly, I think the theme this week is why are so many parties fucking about like there isn't a huge amount of stuff they should be focusing on, Right? I, the Lib Dems are crying over gifts on Twitter. The Tories are all fucking about with Downing Street drama. And Labour? Girl. Okay. <laughs> so Labour is once again in a civil war. <laughs> so, um, it all started, I think, with the the release of the EHRC report into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Um, obviously, Labour is a massively factional party and some of those factions tried to claim this report, you know, vindicated their viewpoints. Um, a lot of people on the left of the party tried to act like the report meant that actually Corbyn's team were innocent and it was all a problem with old Labour that is also new Labour or whatever. Um, but the long and short of the report was that the Labour Party had discriminated against Jewish people. Right. That's that's the takeaway, really. And then Jeremy Corbyn did some fuck shit because of course he did. Um, so he put out a statement. 
Um, I feel like he had to put out a statement. Like, he couldn't just say nothing, obviously. But it may have been one of those times when perhaps he could have not written it himself because (laughs) I feel like here's the thing with Jeremy Corbyn there are a lot of people that say I think in his defense um that he has a, a blind spot And I think, I think it's more than that. I I think there is a blind spot, but I think also there's a lot of arrogance. And he needs someone to say to him, bro, it's fucked up when you say that. Bro, no, you cannot release that statement. That's fucked up. Bro, please do not retweet this. You know what I mean? But a lot of the people that surround him seem to be very enabling and so (laughs) he does this you know um so he released a statement about half an hour after the report was published and he did say that anti-semitism was absolutely abhorrent true and one anti-semite in is one too many in the party also true But then he had to add, the scale of the problem was also dramatically overstated for political reasons by our opponents inside and outside the party, as well as much of the media. Oh my God. It's like he can't help himself. Honestly, truly. Anyway, so he was suspended by the Labour Party. And they removed the whip. Which, frankly, at the time, I found very shocking. I was like, oh my god, what the fuck? It was a very shocking moment. So... This has now become a huge thing because it's the Labour Party and so, of course, it has. Because... Various constituency groups across the UK have um, put forward and passed motions criticising the suspension of Jeremy Corbyn. And as a result of that, a number of members of the Labour Party are being suspended for passing those motions. Now, the reason for that is because according to the Labour Party rules, constituencies constituency Labour parties are not supposed to um, discuss and pass motions on individual cases 
uh, in terms of, of disciplinary stuff. Um, so that's that's against the rules. And so they're being suspended for that. Do the Labour Party not realise there's a fucking crisis going on right now? Do they not know that they're the opposition? Are they are they aware of this or what? Because there is a lot going on right now that they could be doing, such as, oh, I don't know, holding the government to account. Other opposition parties are doing it. It's all the rage, lads. You should join in, you know. Every week you see MPs from the SNP, from Plaid Cymru, uh, from the SDLP. Um, I'm going to begrudgingly mention the Lib Dems here because they do kind of help out. Uh, the Greens. I mean, the Greens only have one MP, but she is pulling her weight a lot more than the chaos that is the Labour Party. Do you guys want to get involved here or what? I <sighs> and then they they also had a bunch of NEC drama. They're electing their NEC this week, and um, basically, what happened was there was this rumor spreading around that the. Labour Party would be removing the votes of people who have voted in the NEC elections but since left the Labour Party. Um, with the reason being, if a person's no longer a member of the party, they shouldn't have any influence on who is elected to the NEC. Um, to uh, clarify... Um, an NEC is a national executive committee so um basically they they hold a lot of uh power and influence within political parties they make decisions and and things like that they're, they're kind of the upper parts of the party you know and, and everybody in the party generally gets a vote on that um so there was this rumor that labor was going to be taking away the votes of people that have since left the party in protest at the treatment of jeremy corbyn however labor clarified that this was not true but that didn't stop people from getting fucking angry about it and talking about it all the time um in the end uh a lot of the different factions within the labor party sort of announced that they had essentially won the NEC elections. It was very Trump-esque. Um, uh, you know, it was there was a lot of people, you know, who were arguing that it was a good result for their side of the party. Um, to be honest, I just want them to act like grown-ups. That is what I want. I want the Labour Party to be a functioning opposition because we need them to be. Because currently, the government is already in a crisis and looks to be sliding even further into one. 
we need the opposition to be doing their jobs. And that means all parts of the opposition. It cannot be the case that just some parties in the opposition are doing all the hard work while other parties in the opposition are fucking about and fighting amongst themselves. Labour need to grow up. That's just that's just the truth. I've had a fucking laugh. Anyway, um, Lawrence Fox. I don't want to be talking about this man, but the media is doing exactly what they did with Farage. And so I have no choice because I need to call this out because, because otherwise we're going to end up with another fucking Farage, right? So ITV News had Lawrence Fox on their podcast with Paul Brand, um, who's one of their political correspondents. It's a podcast called Acting Prime Minister, where they bring on uh, political figures um, to uh, talk about, you know, what they would do with greater political influence and so on. Um, But they had Lawrence Fox on there to... Uh, discuss what he would do if he were prime minister this is a man who has only just launched a vanity political party and they are treating him like he's on the same level as people like Nicola Sturgeon or Mark Drakeford or Richard Leonard even I this man is nothing why is he being given a platform? His party has no seats, no influence and no power. Why is he being interviewed? Why is he being given a platform? What's next? Is he going to get a fucking seat at the leaders debate at the next election? I... This is exactly how Farage became as powerful as he now is. Because even when he had nothing, even when his party was a joke, he was given platforms constantly. And it made him into what he is now. I... And even now, he doesn't really have much in the way of actual political power. But that doesn't stop the media from platforming him constantly. And the same thing is going to happen with Lawrence Fox. And then the media will be like, Oh, I wonder how the far right gained more influence. Is it maybe because we kept platforming their leaders? No, definitely not that. Oh, fucking hell. Honestly. They'll all be out here, like, begging us to save their industry, but they do this fuck shit. I mean, I'll still do it because I believe in, in, in journalism, but you're making it hard for me to love you, you guys. Um, oh, Ben Bradley's been at it again. <laughs> uh, he got pissy with Bernardo's, which is... A children's charity they help children and stuff he's shouting at children's charities now that's great um he got uppity because they used the word white privilege or the term white privilege in a tweet and he got really upset he said it was immoral and irresponsible hashtag you're harming kids <laughs> and again does this man not have anything better to do he honestly just seems to be always online screaming about wokeness he's like if the comment section on 8chan 
came to life and got elected. Anyways, I just, every time I see him, I just think about that time he got sued by Jeremy Corbyn. That was iconic. There has been a little bit of drama in Northern Ireland. Um, So Northern Ireland is under restrictions currently. There has been a lot of indecision from the executive in Northern Ireland about the hows, the whys, the whens of ending their circuit breaker lockdown thing. And I think people are done with it. They're mad about it. Um, What is going on, essentially, is that the restrictions were supposed to end at a certain point and there was supposed to be a plan of how to come out of this circuit breaker. However, that's not been finalised. There has not been a decision made by the executive. And that means that businesses don't know if they can open. Um, People have no idea what the rules will be. People are essentially stuck in this kind of deadlock because they don't know what the fuck is going to happen. Um, at the moment, the restrictions have been extended for one more week. But nobody knows what happens after that at the moment. Um, there seems to be a lot of infighting from the executive. The public are becoming frustrated. Um because the original restrictions were due to expire at midnight on Friday the 13th. Um, But no decision was made. And so now there's been an extension and nobody really knows what's going to be going on. Um, Sinn Féin, the SDLP and the Alliance initially supported proposals to extend the restrictions for two weeks um but then the dup blocked that um and so now it's it's a bit challenging um because nobody really knows what the way forward is the dup are saying that they want firm dates to be announced for other sectors to reopen um however it's it's a bit chaotic um other parties are arguing that providing concrete dates that may not come true making promises that they may have to break at a later point depending on where the infection rates are is unfair on businesses i think that that is a fair point because i mean we had a situation here in england a lot of businesses um during the initial lockdown and the initial part of the summer, they spent a lot of time getting themselves COVID secure, as the government called it. And then just a couple of months later, they're having to shut again. So they've invested all this money 
in being able to open in a socially distanced and COVID secure way, only to be closed again when the infections go up. And that uncertainty and unpredictability is difficult for businesses. So I do understand where the other parties are coming from. Um, I do think they need to come to some kind of decisions just so that people know what's going on. Um, Northern Ireland also had a, a, <laughs> a bit of, bit of chaos, uh, Amazon related chaos. Amazon sort of accidentally declared a United Ireland. Um, Amazon help, uh, their help account on Twitter was answering questions about the rugby autumn nations cup coverage on prime video. Um, they were replying to somebody in Northern Ireland um, and they said, we apologise, but upon reviewing your location, you're in Northern Ireland. Rugby Autumn Nations Cup coverage is exclusively available to prime members based in the UK. We don't have the rights to other territories. And then the memes flooded in, obviously. Um, so <laughs> I'm assuming this poor person from Amazon is probably uh, i'd imagine maybe based in the us um or a part of europe or something they're not based in the uk i would assume um so they maybe didn't know the complexities of <laughs> of the uh the current situation and um yeah so they accidentally declared a united island um fair play fair play um <laughs> if they if they feel like you know maybe declaring an independent scotland as well that would be cute and we would love that <laughs> ask myself so many questions asking the opinion of the empty air around me but there is no answer just mocking echoes making light of my darkness i remember the sound of a voice that is sweet to my ears a kiss that is sweet to my tongue the familiar trail of his lips and his fingers lingers on my lonely skin a lifetime away except for the hours when i dream that always seem to pass like seconds. Lockdown shit. <laughs> I mean, I get why we have to do it and I understand. I mean, if we'd have done it sooner, it would probably be over by now and it would all be fabulous and we could be like whales living fancy free and shit. God, I'm so jealous of them. Love you, Wales, but like in a really envious way. Um, but I, I get why we have to do it and I understand. And I'll do it, I'll stick to the rules, but I'm having a really shit time. 
not as bad as the time as I was the first lockdown, which is good because that was something I was really worried about. I was really actually quite scared about it. Um, and I got quite distressed when I would see people talking, you know, when they announced, and well, they didn't announce, but, you know, they leaked it to the papers. I actually got really upset and really anxious because of how bad the first lockdown was for me. Um, and I was really scared that it was going to be the same. Um, but... Um, I think some of the stresses that I had in the first lockdown are not present here. Um, which helps. I'm still not having an amazing time, but I'm having a less shit time than I was last time. So, um, you know, I, I don't go to the park to cry every night this time. So that's good. <laughs> Although if I did, I've got a better park now. Because obviously the park that's near my house now is better than the one before. Um, it's got a lake and everything. Um, but, you know, I would I would go to the park and I would just cry because I felt so isolated and lonely and depressed. And my life was falling apart. But everybody else's lives were falling apart. So I felt like I couldn't really whine about it. Um... <laughs> this time my life is a bit more stable it's not really falling apart (laughs) in the same way it was before so I feel a lot better about things um but I still feel like isolated obviously you know because the only time I'm really going out is for like essential things and so it feels very isolated And it's frustrating because I can see people breaking the rules. I'm not going to ring the police because I'm not a grass, but I can see it, you know, and I know that it's happening. And, And I think to myself, why don't I do that? You know, like I said earlier, I want to go see the Christmas lights in London. Why don't I just do it? You know, why don't I just go and just see my boyfriend, whatever? But then I think, no, because if everybody did that and everybody was selfish, then this is never going to be over. It's It sucks to be going through this again. And it sucks to watch other people not take it seriously and just break the rules and do what they want. But it's just going to get longer and longer and longer and longer if we don't you know if if we all just say fuck it and do what we want it's never gonna end so i stay at home i write angsty poetry and then soon this will be over and i can do all the things i want to do without you know getting in trouble or making things worse i can go and i can see those christmas lights and they'll be fabulous and beautiful and i'll be like thank you big sadiq these are such beautiful christmas lights you've really given me something to be happy about this year thank you i can (laughs) i can kiss my boyfriend and lay in his arms and be happy and i can say this was worth waiting for because we are on the other side of this now 
Now, I'm hoping that this will be when the government says it will, i.e. the 2nd of December. But then again, this is Boris Johnson, who is a notorious liar, saying this, so who knows. But I'm hoping. I'm going to... I'm manifesting this, okay? (laughs) I'm going to think this into existence. For the first time in his life, the horrible bastard is telling the truth. And on the 2nd of December, things will look a bit better. And I can do what I want. Thank you for listening to Sincerely Jennifer with me, Jennifer Wan. If you want to find more of my work, you can on my website, jenniferwan.com. Or you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, SoundCloud, and pretty much every social media website ever with the username Miss J Squared. Thank you to my amazing top tier patron supporters, Amanda, Kylie, Melissa, Anna, Sam, Katie, Christina, Josie, Gabriella, David, Eleanor, Alicia, Emily, Andy, and Tyler. I'll see you.